Welcome to the Student Affairs Spectacular, the weekly podcast giving you a front row seat to the greatest student affairs show on earth. And now your ringmasters, Tom Kriegelstein and Dustin Ramsdell. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Student Affairs Spectacular podcast. Dustin here, and this is episode number 72 with one Brian Proffer, who is the assistant manager for the University Activities Board at Michigan State University. I was very happy to have Brian on the show a little bit ago. We chatted kind of just generally and casually about uh, a couple different things, uh, job searching, current events, uh, Brian's story of how he got to be where he is today, um, and just uh, kind of just had a discussion about those things. And uh, it was really nice to, to chat with Brian, uh, followed him on social media for a while now and um, he is consistently a great human being <laughs> I'm a fan of his and uh, hopefully now uh, you all will be too if you have not uh, already uh, witnessed his greatness um, so uh, check out Brian at all of the social media things down in the show notes um, just really happy to have this time with Brian to chat about stuff so we will give a quick tip of the hat to our awesome sponsor, and then we will get into this awesome episode number 72 with Brian Proffer. All right. And before we get into the episode, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, the National Center for Student Life, which hosts the National Conference on Student Leadership, coming up next November 19th to the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Since 1978, NCSL has trained thousands of students and advisors in heart-centered, values-based leadership skills designed to help drive transformative change within the individual. And I've personally spoken at NCSL for the past five years, and I've seen firsthand how the NCSL conference helps students and advisors apply learning to address real challenges both on their campus and in their community through the NCSL Call to Action program. NCSL truly brings together the country's best leadership presenters into one place to give both the students and advisors a life-changing experience. And I'm always, I'm always blown away at the level of value received from their conferences. Also, I should note that NCSL was the first to offer students the opportunity to earn a digital badge to document their leadership development. So if you're looking for a national leadership conference to attend, I highly, I can't highly more recommend checking out NCSL at nationalcenterforstudentlife.com. That's nationalcenterforstudentlife.com. With that, let's get this show on the road. It's going, you know, it's August. <laughs> mm-hmm. Things are picking up. Yeah. What's kind of like uh, big on your plate right now? Oh, shoot. Um, so we have our training. Uh, we, we do a two-week training with our students, so we're going to prep for that. And then um, I'm in charge of some of the fundraisers for our office. And so we've got a big one coming up, and I'm preparing for that one, too. So. Interesting. How, how does that work? Because I, I've never heard of like, because you like working in student activities, like, uh, I guess, how does that work? Because I feel like that it's probably going to become more of a thing. And it is, uh, you know, is intriguing to me is, is why I guess I, I uh, dig deep on that. So how do you how do you do that fundraising stuff? Yeah, so um, it, it's new to me as well. So when I came to Michigan State, I had I had a big learning curve about it. Mm-hmm. So here at Michigan State, our University Activities Board is funded by the general fund and fundraising. Mm-hmm. Uh, the general fund will cover, you know, staff salaries, operational costs, um, electricity, phone, stuff like that. 
Um, but all of the funds that we use to program all of our actual activities um, with is all fundraised. So uh, we have our sponsorship programs. So if sponsors want tables or to sponsor our programs, we have a list for that, um, you know, for a designated amount of money. We also have some vendor sales that we do. So we bring on uh, on campus tie-dye Tom. Many universities here in Michigan and other surrounding areas are familiar with tie-dye Tom, who mm. comes and sells. We get a specific commission from him. Um, we have two large arts and craft shows, um, one in the holiday, which hosts about 178 vendors, and our spring show, which hosts about 350 vendors, and all booth fees and whatnot uh, goes to the organization for programming. So we, we raise about, I think it's two hundred fifty to $300,000 between all of our fundraisers um, throughout the year so that we can apply that funding to the programs for the following year. Hmm. Yeah. Well, again, that's just like wild to me because I, my understanding of how it works at most places is that there's like a uh, student activities fee or something that uh, sort of puts the onus on the students to fund all the programs that they then benefit from. But it sounds like, I mean, do you have anything like that at all? It sounds like it's completely different there. Um, so Michigan State does have student tax dollars. Um, they do apply them to, you know, um, all students. Uh, there's a residential student tax as well. So some of those funds go to the resident hall association. Others will go to the um, student government, the associated association of students here at Michigan State University. Uh, the student government here. Some of that will go there. But um, after the Michigan State University riots back in '99, um, it was made as a priority to really create some alternative programming to engage students and provide them some other options for um, entertainment and getting involved. So they uh, pulled the University Activities Board and identified them as a uh, key component. So they were created more as a department on campus um, because there are three of us professional staff members mm -hmm. here working with the students. And so um, we get the operational costs from the general funds, but the rest is fundraised. And we actually do very well for the fundraising. Um, yeah. It's very successful. They've built a great model and um, it, it works for us. It's, it is very different than most others, but also this way we don't have to, you know, go to ASMSU or RHA, our um, student government and our hall association respectively, you know, for funding or whatnot. We can just work with them as collaborators and partners and programs and kind of leave the funding component out for the most part um, as far as requ requesting it, gotcha. um, you know, so... Hmm. It's it's definitely a different model, but it, it works. Yeah. Um, definitely gave, has given me a better appreciation of uh, stretching the stretching the almighty dollar and making sure we're good stewards of our money. Yeah, but, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, cause, uh, kind of diverting there with a little bit of a tangent, but I was just curious, and hopefully that'll be kind of enlightening to some other folks as well. But so just to kind of start with the regular flow that we have here, um, sure. we'll, we'll start, as we always do, having you give an introdu uh, introduction of yourself and how you got to be where you are today. So yeah, my name is Brian Proffer. I um, am assistant manager here for the University Activities Board at Michigan State University. I've been in the field for going on eight years now. I started right out of my undergrad um, at the University of Michigan Flint, where I was in student activities. And I've actually been in student activities ever since. Never really left. Mm -hmm. uh, had some additional hats added, such as orientation, leadership programs, um, 
and whatnot, but the core of my positions have always been student activities. Um, I worked at University of Michigan Flint for a few years. I left there to start my grad program at Eastern Michigan University um, and then did my graduate internship at Concordia University in Ann Arbor. And then after that, worked at Marigold College, which is a small private Catholic college in Detroit. And then from there, after I graduated with my master's, I moved over here uh, last fall to Michigan State University. So kind of been all over the small schools. So Michigan State's the largest institution that I've been at mm-hmm. um, thus far in my journey. So, yeah. Yeah, and just because I kind of jotted down and this, this this whole episode is sort of, you know, just kind of casual kind of talking about, you know, notable things uh, in student affairs. So um, something that I was curious about and it kind of just is kind of speaking to truths of the realities of, you know, all of our experiences because I, I went through, uh, you know, the job search very recently. I'm just curious how it was for you. So just kind of walk us through um, whenever you began searching, how that was for you and just... Um, you know, because I think there's a lot of, you know, thoughts about how it is supposed to go or how it usually goes. I don't know what your experience was, if you feel like it was kind of traditional or uh, run of the mill. I don't know how it all went for you. Yeah, so my job search for the Michigan State position, um, probably very different than most grad students, um, most of the traditional essay pro grad students, because I had already had several years of experience. Mm -hmm. I was also working full time as a SA Pro. So I didn't have a grad assistantship during my grad program. I just had uh, internships and then my full-time position. So um, in terms of the content for my interviews, I think I had a little bit of a more of a benefit to that because I had more of a full-time perspective um, of student affairs and could apply that to the job interviews. and also having been through the job search a couple times before, I knew that it was a very slow and laborious process. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's absolutely true, at least to me, you know, you put 50 applications in, you might get one or two to contact you for even the first interview via phone or Skype. So I kind of knew and anticipated that. So I wasn't too anxious about those um, those interviews and getting those callbacks and having every single application being um, picked up by a university and having them contact me. Um, it also was a little bit easier for me because I had a full-time position already at Mary Grove College. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the urgency from graduating with grad school and trying to find a full-time job wasn't there either. Um, I think every interview and every job search is different for everyone just because each person's an individual. They have their different experiences. Um, and honestly, you never know what someone or an office or even an institution is looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, some of the individuals I thought straight out of grad school who would get a position have just landed their first position, while others, I thought they would be struggling a little bit. And they got positions right away. But looking back at where they are, it's it was a combination of things. It was totally, you know, personality, totally the fit, their experiences, um, even their interview processes. But it was more the the content and who they were as a person and student affairs professional as opposed to the actual interview process. Um, you know, a lot of us have mastered the interview process, but um, actually showing them who we are as both individuals and essay pros sometimes doesn't always come through 
um, a master of the interview. So I, I think that looking back and reflecting on that, that might be part of some of the quirks of the inter- of the job search for our field. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I, I think yeah, the timing, uh, like just the length of the process, just makes it very arduous, as you said. Um, then yeah, I think when I did it, like that was probably the, like the the worst part about it was just that it took so long. So um, and not really, I guess, knowing fully what to expect. Like I think that's also part of the problem is that it's it's a new experience for people. So um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and well, and I guess cause did you do like a very like focused search? Because my I mean, just based on everywhere that you've uh, been in work, did you focus it really just around like a certain geographic area, like just in Michigan or just in uh, the Midwest or anything? Like how how large of a search did you do? Um, I was uh, doing a Michigan search, so because um, I have a partner who uh, w- works in Michigan as well, mm-hmm. I needed to keep my search here in Michigan. So it was a little bit more um, tedious to find, you know, positions in student activities um, and student affairs because I had such a limited search. Definitely, I know some people who got positions right away because they had a broader search, mm-hmm. you know, and that was definitely part of the. Um, who got positions right away or took a little bit longer was because of the, the region area. Um, and I had never thought about that until grad school. But then as we started the whole, you know, essay grads about to graduate, look for a job. Um, and we started talking about the um, areas that we're searching in. It, it finally hit me that, oh, hey, that might be why I've been struggling the past couple of years for positions is because I'm only staying in Michigan, you know. Mm. So that's absolutely a key factor in it. Yeah. So I guess maybe what I'm saying, it just because this is something that intrigues me about it and that, you know, I guess you could put whatever kind of qualitative term you want on it. But do you think that in a, in a certain perspective, it's just a numbers game? Like if you just apply for enough jobs, you'll probably get one or should, you know, should people focus more? You know, because I, I think obviously like to put some sort of, you know, the way it should be or whatever, like I would think that you know, uh, less is more like you should really be intentional and like, uh, focus on each place and make it sort of specific versus just sort of flooding your resume out there and apply to over a hundred places because like, yeah, well, I'll probably get a job if I apply to a bunch of places, which I guess both are good and true and whatever, but I don't, what, what are your feelings on that? Like, do you wish you could have applied to more places because just because of odds it might've worked out? I don't think necessary for me, I would have done that. Um, cause I know I want to stay in student activities. So no matter what, I would have been very narrow in my searches. Some people, they are so broad in, they are literally just student affairs. They're not financial aid, you know, or student mm-hmm. activities. Yeah. They're going to have it a little bit easier because it, for them, the numbers game will benefit them because they can just apply to anything because they have such a broad interest area. Um, but for me with, uh, student activities, I was, I was very selective even when I did, uh, outside of the Michigan area for a few searches, I was very, very intentional. And I maybe only put a maximum of 20 applications out um, for student activities positions because um, I kind of had a certain niche that I was looking for, as well as having a couple years experience kind of wavered me into a smaller numbers. Right. I think for myself, numbers would have helped me any um, just because of what I was looking for. But others, it, it could, but not for me. I think it was just the intent and really showing that I really wanted that position is what got me the position as opposed to the numbers that I applied for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's what's important, too, is that, like, I guess, and again, maybe that, that is what, what certain people want is that they don't care 
you know, what job it is. They just want any job. So they do cast right. like a huge net and all these different functional areas and stuff. But so, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I was just curious and what your experience was. And it's sort of, sort of related. It's another thing I jotted down was um, conferences. I don't know what your experience has been at going to different uh, conferences, student affairs or otherwise. Um, I don't know. Did you job search at any conferences? Just uh, what, what's been your experience there? Um, I did the... During my after my first year of grad school at uh, ACPA, what 2014, I did do the um, C3 mm -hmm. uh, program. It was nice. Um, <laughs> honestly, it didn't really bear anything for me. Um, I kind of wanted to do it more for the experience because, um, you know, HESA programs across the country are emphasizing doing, you know, TPE or C3 or some large, you know, job fair like that within our field. So I wanted to experience it more than actually get a job out of it. Honestly, for me, because I was regional and so focused, um, it didn't really help me too much. Mm -hmm. um, or just the networking and meeting people throughout the conferences helped me more with my job search than anything. But it was a good experience because I know, um, you know, a lot of the SA grads will go to them. So, you know, they're nice. They're fun. I mean, I went with my I went with my cohort, so they're like five of us, and it was actually an awesome experience for us because we literally sat there the entire time with each other. We all had interviews um, one at a time throughout the day, but we would just sit there with each other, help each other research, and you know, pump each other up, and we'd make a loud cheer when they went for their interviews and cheer when they got back, and you know. Um, it, it was a lot more relaxed and less, I guess, competitive for us because we kind of were there, one, for the experience. Some of them were looking for the jobs very specifically, but we also knew, you know, it's a large candidate pool, and uh, depending on HR processes, you know, they might not be able to do anything at C3. So it was more of a uh, just an experience. If one of us got a job out of it, cherry on top, but um, to go through it, experience it, and put our names out there was really what our focus was so yeah yeah because I, I was like i went to uh tpe when i was job searching i think about the, the same time in 2014 and um yeah just i wasn't a fan of it it just felt you know uh you know, some, I guess the, the, the less or the least, uh, you know, appetizing term was just like, it was, it felt very like meat market, you know, cause it was like so huge. It was just kind of like, you come in here, talk to us, all right, get out of here. Come, like, and it was just, it was too much of that. And like, you know, just, right. it just didn't feel like I was able to get too in depth, but you know, conferences in general, I think, you know, I've, I've said in the past, really the, the, the thing that they do best always is the networking. It's getting FaceTime and, uh, kind of getting your name out there and stuff, which, uh, it's just hard to repl replicate elsewhere. But I think that, that point that you made, though, I, th I didn't necessarily think about that as like a huge thing is that a lot of times like they're not going to be able to make any big offers in March, you know, for a job that's probably going to start in July. Um, like things are just going to move slowly because I know I had my first interviews or at least started doing my first applications in uh, January and things went up until, you know, June, July. So it was like just like half a year of phone interviews, like, you know, and in-person interviews at the conferences and stuff that I went to. And, um, yeah, in the end, I got a job that I just applied to through higher ed jobs and the whole cycle lasted like a month. Right. Um, so that's sort of where my brain goes more now is just like, no, just like look on, you know, jobs boards. And a lot of times they're looking for people to start immediately. So they're going to, you know, move quickly versus like all these ones that are in anticipation of a possible opening that may open up at in July that they're 
you know, talking to people about in February or something. So that's right. Like, Feeling out the field, seeing who's out there. I yeah. Mean, I, I think the conference uh, like TP and C3 are great, especially for those with the, that wide net that mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, yeah. you know, just throwing it out there. All right. Because you, you'll get a lot of interviews if you throw out your net wide, but you know, the expectation that you'll actually get a job out of it might be a little high, you know, and even just the timeline of getting a job right away. Uh, most won't be able to because of the HR processes. So, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of if people go tend those, have a little bit, um, little bit of patience with the processes because, as you know, our higher end hiring processes are um, there's some stuff to be desired. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just a little patience sometimes is needed for those and to not be too anxious if you don't hear back from many of the ones from C3 or TPE just because of processes and what they're really about. Yeah. Yeah, patience, so. I guess, is always the, the, the way to go. But um, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things that's like not a great thing to hear if you're like super anxious. Just like, just be patient, just be patient. Know. You know, but I know. So it it's, is. it's hard. It's hard because you're like, crap, I'm going to be out of school. My loans are going to kick in. <laughs> Bills to pay. I need a job. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's real. It's real. It, oh, the struggle is real. Definitely. Yes. Um, well, then, when what other like have you gone to a lot of different conferences just for you know, uh, you know, just to go for pre- professional development? Have you gone to you know like your ACPAs, your NASPAs, or national functional area ones, or local conferences? Just what's your experience been there? Yeah, so I have gone to actually quite a plethora of variety of conferences. Uh, I have done ACPA. I did that for the past two years. Uh, I've done NACA regionals. Um, you know, I've done uh, MCPA, the Michigan chapter of ACPA regionals for, gosh, past eight years. So I have done a plethora of them. Um, but I also have been doing conferences outside of student affairs. And I know there's been a couple of essay chats and stuff going on about, you know, broadening your, your conferences beyond uh, student affairs. And one of my favorites that I go to, my former supervisor, uh, she actually got me involved was with High Ed Web. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really focuses on, you know, um, technology and web systems and, uh, practices and, um, uses of such systems and platforms for higher education institutions in general. So there's a lot of talk on marketing and web development and social media development and the use of it all. Um, little bit of coding stuff, which those sessions I don't go to because I'm not a computer science person like that. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a practitioner. Um, but that has really given me some interesting perspective to look at student affairs with um, and really understand, you know, oh, hey, everything is online and here's some language I can help to work with IS departments and offices on campus so they know that I'm not just throwing stuff at them, I know what they can do, and um, I also understand their limitations of what they can't do. So if I request something and say no and give me a reason, I'll be able to understand it mm. um, because we're moving everything to online, web, social media. So that's actually been one of the best conferences I've been going to. Um, I sat on the committee a couple of years for the High Ed Web Michigan, um, so a regional one of that. Um, learned a lot, made some great connections. Um, they're a lot of fun. They're great people. I've now follow them on the back channels when they do their uh, variety of regional and national conferences. And I've also picked up on the, um, shoot, can't remember the name of it, but it's the uh, hashtag PSU Web Conference that's mm-hmm. at Penn State every year. That's a phenomenal conference, and you can follow on the uh, back channel for it um, that I love following and getting all sorts of different information um, 
and then it's easy to apply some of that to student affairs and really has helped me move some of the projects that I work on forward. So, you know, um, conferences are fun. A lot of it is the networking, the programs. They're pleasant. They're nice. <laughs> Not to downplay the educational programming component of it, um, especially since I'm now putting more program proposals in. Um, but I think it's really networking and being able to pump each other up and decompress mm -hmm. about stuff with other people, maybe outside of your institutional cocoon. <laughs> yeah. I know that this past year, um, some old friends and actually students who are now in the field of mine, uh, we've kind of created a support group for each other, um, even though we're kind of spread across the United States, uh, to help, you know, alleviate those pressures and just kind of give some perspective to, to our days. Um, and that's probably the best stuff that I've gotten out of conference conferences so far um we'll see what i get once i start presenting more and getting more involved on that on that level so yeah yeah um, yeah and i think that it, like that's what seems to have taken precedence is the the connections and stuff and that's the way to you know collaborate on things or get new ideas for things or you know if you're job searching you make those connections and stuff and um i think it's just in my brain I, I, it's hard for me to sometimes to reconcile is that um, you know, educational programs, I think, again, are just another great way to, you know, you're talking about what you're into, people will know you, you know, for those things. Um, but the problem is that like, there's such a time gap between getting a proposal accepted, and then you actually presenting about it. So I think, you know, maybe just people have to think about it in different ways that like, you know, the information might be out of date, if you're like referencing specific information. Um, and obviously, it's not a huge amount of time. So it's not a, a huge detriment. But sometimes just talking about, you know, current events, it's like, yeah, I put this proposal in, you know, half a year ago, and now I'm talking about it. So it'd have to be, I guess, in such a general way where you could, once you're there, bring up the updated information, um, you know, things that are going on. Um, so right. that's, uh, that's that sort of bug in my brain. I'm like, yeah, that is a good point. Like, it's it's not a very tight, you know, uh, time frame to like get programs out there to where like it sometimes it's like, man, we should be talking about this thing right now, but all the programs and all the space that's dedicated to stuff is you know from six months ago or something. You know, like it's it's you know, oh, I don't know, but yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've I've kind of learned to take the topics of the, the sessions I go to and use those as you know those openers to talk with people outside of the session. So yeah. you know, I'll learn learn from them, but then, you know, kind of roll it into the general, oh, did you go to this session? Or what do you think? Or I heard this in this session. What do you think about that? Or giving your thoughts on that. Because, you know, I'll know that someone has that interest, but they were at another session or were at a meeting or something. So, I mean, they're, they're good to expand the conversation and they're nice to have because of that um, while you're networking and conferencing and doing your thing. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting. ACPA and uh, NASPA this year were very interesting um, with some of the um, um, decisions made with speakers and mm -hmm. Yik Yak and all of that stuff. Very interesting to see how our field reacted to those and um, while at the conference and after each conference. Uh, very interesting to experience and see and follow and converse about. Um, still still processing a lot of that too though myself so you know yeah. conferences always give you lots to think about months later so <laughs> yeah well, yeah i guess yeah like it, it's something's gonna happen when you get like you know the whole field together like something's gonna you know come up where it's just like oh yeah that's like a problem or like yeah like the interactions that we have with each other this different thing and um, right <laughs> yeah so yeah it's even some of that stuff it's just like 
yeah, it feels like it's like it, it, it may not have been reconciled or just even on the principle of it is just being very reactionary versus proactive uh, about some of those issues and stuff. It's um, right. I don't know, it's for, uh, food for thought and for good for discussion. Um, oh, yeah. Which maybe we'll do that for a future episode. We'll, we'll dig <laughs> into that. But um, so I guess there's some there's still like other kind of general stuff. And I mean, what, what do you what are you looking forward to? Uh, I guess you said you know, like you're working on program proposals and stuff like what are you looking forward to for this year? Because maybe, you know, it's been a busy summer uh, in terms of like, you know, things happening. I don't know if you're, you're an optimistic guy like me, but I don't know what you're looking forward to. And just in terms of, you know, you know, uh, societal things like, you know, future current events or just for yourself personally, like what, what's next year have in store for you that you're looking forward to? Oh, a lot. (laughs) I think for me, I'm, I'm going to be very interested in seeing for me personally, um, some of this election stuff going on Mm. and topical issues. Um, there's some significant cultural and societal issues being addressed within the people of the country mm-hmm. and our areas, but and even within our field. But I'm not. Sh- I, I'm not sure if uh, they'll all be addressed as the politicians are starting to gear up their campaigns for next year's election. So I'm going to be interested in seeing how they work those in, or if they don't work them in. Um, and a lot of these will affect our campuses. So it, it'll be interesting. I'm kind of keeping an eye on that. Um, keep an eye on, in particular, Michigan with um, the uh, marriage equality um, being overturned by the Supreme Court um, and allowing marriage equality to happen across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan, for some reason, is one of these holdout states. They are they are adamant that they they are trying not to um, allow it here in Michigan. They're putting as many barriers um, between it and. Uh, people as humanly possible from our non-discrimination clause to um, practices to a freedom of um, religious freedom uh, restoration acts. So we'll see what this all turns out. Um, Our governor's in his last term, so we'll see who comes up after him and starts to talk about that. Our legislation legislation right now is very conservative. So um, in, in a way, because of the way we voted and who we put in office, it makes sense. But um, it it has surprised me that Michigan is one of these states that, for some reason, they're just kind of holding out, and they're the last ones. I would not have expected Michigan to be one of the last holdout states in it. So um, it's we'll see what happens. Uh, definitely, if they're still on the same track, you know, I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of my friends and even colleagues have considered, you know, in the next few years, possibly looking for positions at institutions outside of Michigan, just because Michigan's just not moving forward, and um, it's hard to work with uh, students in a state where it's very obvious that um, equality and equal rights, etc., are not a priority, and they they are trying to discriminate that so um, and discourage it. So it, it is hard both personally and professionally to work in a state like that. So we'll see. Um, that's kind of what I'm keeping my eye on for myself. But um, as far as the institution, this will be my first full year at Michigan State because I started in October mm-hmm. last year. So this is actually going to be my first fall here at Michigan State. And from what I've learned, uh, what I've learned so far is that Michigan State sure does know how to do a big fall welcome. So I'm excited to experience that. And this will be my first homecoming. I've never been an institution with a homecoming. So Michigan State's homecoming is my very first. Uh, So we'll see. I'm excited because 
I haven't had a homecoming since high school, which is <laughs> uh, so many years ago. Yeah. And so um, I'm excited. Um, as a Michigan Wolverine, um, I love my maize and blue, um, dedicated Wolverine. But, you know, I've come to really embrace and love MSU here. I love the students. And so I'm excited to see what their, their fall is like. And so that's probably what I'm most looking forward to right now. Cool. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot of good stuff. Um, yeah. And I think that, that's a good point. I'm just like, I mean, I think a lot of student affairs professionals and uh, I don't know how, how jaded we all are about politics, but I think it's at least good to like keep tabs on it and, and feel empowered to, you know, uh, you know, get out there, support candidates and stuff that you feel like are, uh, you know, supportive of your beliefs and stuff, because, you know, I, I feel like it is uh, a noteworthy discussion item that is coming up, I think, or, you know, should or will uh, just stuff about higher education. Cause I know a lot of States are, you know, kind of grappling with, how do they fund it? How do they support it? And all those different things. And then just obviously for huge societal issues that impact us all, you know, every pre- uh, presidential election or, you know, it's, it's very important. So, um, oh, absolutely. Definitely, definitely it's going to be a, a fun year as all that stuff continues to ramp up. So, um, Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it, 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 that's what it is. Like it's, it's, it just feels like a, you know, like a circus sometimes where it's like, yeah, let's just sit back and watch. I just want to see what happens. Like who says what? And like, you know, it's, it's entertaining at the least. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so we'll, we'll, we'll link, uh, to all your stuff, uh, in our show notes here. And, uh, this is, you know, for when I talk, kind of think about people to talk to for the podcast, you know, uh, I thought of you and I didn't know what we would talk about, but I wanted to talk to you for, you know, bring you onto the show. Cause it's, you know, I've followed you on Twitter for a while. I always, uh, have a lot of thoughtful, uh, intriguing and cool things to say. And, um, really appreciate you just taking time out to continue to have those cool discussions on the podcast here and just kind of talk about yourself, your journey, and kind of just, uh, you know, other stuff that's going on in the field here. So, uh, yeah, again, just, uh, appreciate your time, Brian. And, uh, uh, I guess with that, well, actually we should, we should wrap up just in general. What is a final thought? We always do the final thought. The end. I almost forgot. What is a final thought you have about just, just how you're feeling? You kind of noted, I guess, what you're excited about going into the year, but um, just maybe like a final positive thought that you'd want to leave all the listeners with. Everyone should love baby animal pictures on Twitter and tweet <laughs> them because they always put smiles on your face. And people should use Dove Smash more because those are hilariously awesome ways to start your day. Not going to lie. Um, yeah, that's my final thought. The most random thing I could ever think of. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, baby animals and Dove Smash, you know, and maybe right? we can put those two together somehow. I don't know. You know. Oh, who knows? Oh, there's, yeah. there'll be a way. But no, I appreciate you reaching out and whatnot. Uh, I always listen to podcasts and um, normally on my lunchtime, I'll be going through them and listening to them and re-listening to them. So I thank you for reaching out and inviting me to join you um, on one. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, Brian, have a good rest of your day and I will uh, talk to you later. Awesome. Sounds good. You too. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you want to help us out, leave us a review and rating on Stitcher or iTunes, or just share out the show so other people can find all the cool stuff we talk about every single week on the show. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Student Affairs Spectacular Podcast.